0: Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hi. I'm David Butler.
1: I'm Emily Freeman.
0: This is... Don't... We're <laughs> about to say the same time. <laughs> don't miss this. Today we're doing Matthew 14 and 15, Mark 6 and 7, and John 4 and 5. Is it 4 and 5? Did I get that wrong? No, I think it is. Yeah.
1: And here's the thing. We say this every time, but this is true again. We are going to be talking in our fastest voices that we even own, because that is how many good lessons there are (laughs) in this part.
0: Oh, and did we want to say something about Easter? Yeah. I forgot. Okay. Um, Easter week is coming up. By the time you watch this, it'll be really close. This might be the video right before Easter week. But Mm -hmm. we are teaming up with LDS Living, and we're going to record um, a video each day of Easter week. Um, It's a story, a short story and an activity of people who were witnesses of the first resurrection.
1: Yep, there'll be about five minutes so don't panic that we're going to take your whole night for six nights in a row. And um, what we're going to do in Come Follow Me, you'll see there are two ideas for the Easter lesson. You'll actually be teaching the Easter lesson most likely the week before Easter which will be awesome because it just will preempt going into Easter week. Um, There's a couple ideas. In come follow me one is to celebrate holy week with the events that happened every week the second idea is to look at the eyewitnesses who were actually there on that first Easter and we are so in love with that idea so we'll be talking a lot about those eyewitness accounts of the people who were there just like it talks about In come follow me and then we will um, be doing six of the people one a night um, all the days leading up till Easter. We're going to give you a list of supplies that you will need to have ready if you want to do the family activity for every single night. They're super fun. By Easy, the time you simple. get to the end of the week, your house is decorated with um, all sorts of decorations that are just Christ-centered. Right. Um, so it's going to be so fun. We'll give you more tips on that. but um,
0: In the newsletter. In the
1: newsletter. So just go back to the newsletter. The newsletter is at emilybellfreeman.com. We'll try and get that information out, everything you need to know.
0: For we're Easter. on Instagram. You can see any of the things there. And again, if you're having trouble with the newsletter, if you've signed up for the newsletter and you're not getting it, just search in your email boxes for hello at emilybellfreeman.com and that has solved 95% of the problems. People are finding it again.
1: Yes. So, so we're so happy about that. Okay.
0: Now back to Mark and Matthew and John <laughs> and company. Okay. <laughs> all, the fr- all the friends. All the friends. We're going to start with this story that is absolutely um, one of our favorite stories. And it's the story of Peter when he walks on water. And so we're in Matthew 14 and um, the story starts at about verse 22. And it's interesting um, that you find Jesus sends the disciples uh, and says, I'm going to meet you on the other shore. And you kind of imagine the disciples asking like, well, how are you going to get there? And he's like, don't worry about it. Um, Just go. And so they, they ride off into the boat and things seem well fine. Well, that was weird. Um, They seem fine. And they're out in the middle of, of uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And you may have heard before the Sea of Galilee, the way the mountainsides are shaped there is just known for these storms that just whip up out of nowhere. And that's exactly what happens on that night. So it starts about verse 24. It says, the ship was in the midst of the sea and it was tossed with the waves for the wind was contrary. That's a really nice way of saying there was just a wicked storm that was brewing in there. Um, and it says it's in the fourth watch of the night, uh, which is verse 25. And, and it's so, um, the, the disciples start getting worried. And you got to remember that uh, half of them are fishermen professionally. So if you're like on a, you know, a tourist boat and people start to get worried by waves, you're kind of like, ah oh, you're a wimp. But if fishermen start getting worried, you know this is a really big storm. Uh, yeah, and they're
1: not strangers to, to the water, right? They
0: just, they know how to, so when they're worried, you should be worried, you know? Uh, and then it's Jesus coming to them in the sea, but they don't know that yet because it gets better. It says, and this is verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. You think, yeah. um, saying it is a spirit and they cried out for fear. So they think it's a ghost <laughs> who's coming. And it's funny that it says they cry out, meaning like these are grown men, uh, fishermen, tough, folks and they are like it's that guttural you know like (laughs) like, he's coming (laughs) like it's already been stormy they've been rowing all night long they're exhausted and now there is a ghost coming to get them on the water and then all of a sudden they hear this line be of good cheer um it is i right and they recognize the voice and that's such a funny thing to say in the middle of that storm and speaking of the fact that it's the middle of the storm i thought about this yesterday that um Jesus has already shown that he can calm storms, but for some reason, he leaves that one uh, windy and wild
1: Yeah, that's
0: uh, true. While, while he's walking. So it's not this smooth glass sea that he's walking on. It is wavy and windy and wild. And why, why didn't he calm it? Maybe because of the lessons that he's going to, that he's going to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Peter, uh, bold, bold Peter asks him, Lord, if it really is you, Ask me to come onto the water, and we love this one-word invitation in verse 29, where the Lord says, "Come," right? And imagine what that moment is like um, for Peter to come to the edge of the boat, um, to sit on, and it's it's wavy and it's wild. Yeah, you just
1: got to think about those waves are so huge. The wind's blowing. He's hanging his feet over the side and of that boat. Just thinking,
0: like for real, yeah. you know? And he, that, that's the only the one-word invitation: "Come." And Peter has to be the one to step out of the boat. Now, the thing is, is fishermen belong in boats. That's where (laughs) they belong. They don't belong out in the water. And this line we love so much, we feel like someone should have added an exclamation point uh, in there in verse 29, when Peter was come down out of the ship. And man, that's a big step out. Mm -hmm. You thought Neil Armstrong's step was big. You know, (laughs) this is a big one. That first step out of the boat. And Peter never would have known he could walk on water. Had he not taken that step, but it says right there, and uh, when Peter was coming down to the ship, he walked on the water. Exclamation point! Yeah, don't you is want an exclamation mark there. right there? And
1: sometimes we forget about that. Peter walked on water. He he did it. Yeah, he really did.
0: And, and we and we always tell the story in the sinking part. You know, yeah. we're like, we know that's going to happen. Spoiler alert! I just gave it away. He's going <laughs> to sink. But the fact is, he walked on the water. Yeah. That is just, it's amazing. I love that. He walked on the water to go to Jesus.
1: And you just love thinking of that moment for a second. You know, what are all his friends saying in the back of the boat? He starts walking. Don't you think everyone's just cheering just back like, there? It's just they've
0: like, they've he's like, he's doing it. This is an emotional evening. They've yeah. gone from yelling in fear to like, yeah. yeah it. Right? And he's
1: walking and he sees Jesus. And then.
0: And then I love this spot here. And, and it says, when he saw the wind boisterous. He was afraid. And you don't really see wind, right? So you see waves. And so it seems like he takes his eye off of Jesus and he looks to the waves and, and he starts and he starts to sink. And on the study guide sheet, you'll see this uh, fill in the blank here. What was his cry? And we love this in verse 30, where he cries out and he says, Lord, save me, right? And then in verse 31, immediately, you're gonna see that several times in, in this week's chapters. Mm-hmm. And next week's chapter is the word straightway, the word immediately, immediately. The moment he cries out for help, the Lord reaches down and, and, he, grabs, and he grabs his hand, right? And I, I just think that's such a beautiful, I love that word. It's one of my favorite words in this entire story is the second he cries out.
1: And I think it's so interesting when you think of any painting you've ever seen about this scene, that is the painting that we see. We don't ever see the painting of Peter walking on water. It's always that reaching moment. And um, I love, we included this quote on here that I just love. I think the reason why we love that moment so much, why that's what's depicted every time is because we know that moment. We know it. Um, We know what it is to doubt. We've felt afraid before. We're familiar with the great storms of life. And we just want you to think to yourself, have you ever approached the Lord soaking wet and windblown? well, I feel like we know those moments so well yeah. that that's the part of the story that we,
0: we resonate. Yeah, you just resonate with it. Yeah. And again, like, it's just interesting that it's like um, how simple that was. How simple, a one-word invitation. Jesus says, come. And then the, that one word, rescue, you know, mm-hmm.
1: it's
0: immediately. It's so right when he cries mm-hmm. out, that, that happens right away. And, uh, and you can expect that. You can expect the moment you cry out for help there will be an immediate we don't know what it will look like or how it will be but what's so interesting about this story is when you think about it in that time of peter's trouble uh when peter is in the storm where was the lord and the answer is he well you have
1: to say where could he have been
0: yeah he could could have have been been on the land or in the boat or in the the, boat giving instructions can
1: you imagine him just giving instructions to peter this is what um you're gonna do and he wasn't
0: right He He was within reach right there out on the water in the water. And it's just so interesting. It's so like the, the imagery there is in order to come closer to him, Peter needed to step out of the boat. And sometimes, you know, the Lord gives us that same invitation. You might think in your life, how is he saying to you, come? What kind of step out of the boat invitations is he giving to you right now? And he's not going to be somewhere far off. There are moments that draw you closer to him.
1: Every time I read this story, I think about the song, Where Can I Turn for Peace? And there's that one line, he reaches my reaching. Mm. And I just, I see Peter's hand every time I sing that song, just that moment. That's how close Jesus was, is he could reach his reaching. And I think that's true for all of us. Um, we have a favorite story that goes along with this story in our family. Many, many years ago, we were at a stake conference where our stake president invited every family in our stake to buy a picture of the Savior to hang in their home. And he said, I don't want it to be just any picture of the Savior. I want it to be a picture that connects to you individual, individually. Either it's your favorite story or um, it's how you think the Savior looks or something that just connects you to that painting well, we already had a painting of the Savior that I loved in our family room, but I thought, I want to do that for each of my kids. I want them to pick out their picture of who they think the Savior is. And we were going to have them framed and hang them up in their rooms and they would be able to look at them. And so we went one night um, out shopping and and we went to a place where there were a lot of um, pictures of Jesus. And we let our kids look and three of my kids found their picture, but Caleb knew what picture he wanted, but he couldn't find it. He had seen it and he couldn't find anywhere, he was 12. And he described the picture to me. Peter was in the water, he was sinking, Jesus was reaching out his hand and he was like, mom, if Peter was about to drown, that is what I want it to look like. So I searched and searched for that picture and I finally found it at Costco in a book, a big expensive book of artwork that I ended up having to buy that book and rip out the page (laughs) and frame it in a little frame that um, then I had each of my kids write underneath it, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and they wrote Christmas, and I think it was 2006. And we hung all those pictures right by their light switches in their room. So every time they came in and out of their room, they saw that picture, and it was a reminder of who Jesus was in their life and, and what they believed about him. Well, it was interesting because many, many years after that, Caleb got his mission call, and he was called to Croatia to go on his mission And he got to the MTC and he wrote us and he said, I am the only missionary in the whole MTC learning Croatian. And luckily, I didn't put two and two together at the beginning. Um, It wasn't until about three days before he was supposed to leave the MTC that I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, if you're the only missionary in the MTC learning Croatian, then are you the only missionary in the MTC going to Croatia? And I mentioned it to Greg, but Greg knows I am such a warrior. He just pretended like, no, that would never happen. It wasn't until Caleb got to the airport and checked in all his luggage. He'd been dropped off by a couple from the MTC. He didn't even come on a bus and got his luggage all checked in and got through security. And then he called us. And sure enough, he was flying halfway across the world completely by himself. We've flown to California before. That's it. <laughs> I went into pure panic, everybody. I don't know if you know this, but there is a little thing on Google that you can search someone's plane number and you can actually watch its simulation of the flight flying all the way across the world. I woke up every hour and a half through the night just to make sure the plane was still in the sky. <laughs> He landed in France for a minute, called us. He actually got lost and locked in a part of the airport in France. and it, I mean, the whole time, I like can barely even stand it. just please bless Caleb's going to get to Croatia. And he finally he gets there. His mission president and his wife came and picked him up at the airport. and Caleb wrote home that next week on um, P-day. If you have missionaries, you know, you just live for that first letter that says, I'm here, I made it, people like me, I can communicate a little bit, just all that. And then he tells us this story, how his mission president had come and picked him up at the airport and taken him to a zone conference that was happening in Croatia and how he had introduced Caleb to all the missionaries and everyone went around and, and talked a little bit. And then he had Caleb bear his testimony in Croatian. And then he turned to the missionaries and said, um, when I saw Caleb, when I saw Elder Freeman coming out of the doors of that airport all by himself, it reminded me of Peter walking on water to go to the Lord. And I just started crying. I thought to myself, you know what? That mission president doesn't know that that's the picture that hung above Caleb's light switch for his entire life. But the Lord did. And it was a reminder that the Lord was gonna be there and with him on his mission. When I turned to the Come Follow Me manual, and this was the picture in here, oh, I just thought of that story immediately because this is Caleb's picture right here. This is the picture that hung by his light switch for his whole life. And every time I see this picture, I just remember that about the Lord. He reaches our reaching. Even if we're halfway across the world, the Lord is gonna meet us there.
0: Right, he will be there with you, waiting, right? just waiting. He was is out on the water, waiting for him to come, so we can. I mean, the invitation there is that when Jesus asks us to come, you can expect that He will be there with us. Yep. Right.
1: Yep. Just within reach. That's the lesson we learned from Peter's story. Okay, the next story we're going to go to is the mother who um, came um, seeking for healing. This is in Matthew 15. The story is also found in Mark 7. Either of those places, and both of them are so good. Um, it tells us there was a certain woman i love it when we don't get a name for someone when it is a certain woman and in my mind i always just put myself into that situation i think of when have i experienced this story or this moment and she had a young daughter and who needed help who needed healing and she had heard of jesus so she came to where he was and And she falls at his feet
0: and what's interesting is it tells you in the matthew one Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's in the mark one also that He went to her cities. And what's unique about that is they were Gentile cities. Tyre and Sidon are, um, they're on the coast. They are, that's where Queen Jezebel was from. They have a reputation for being pagan people, unbelievers. And it's just interesting to me that Jesus goes into that place. Right.
1: And it tells us right in Mark, the woman was Greek. So she's not Jewish. She's not part of the culture. She's not part of the religion, but she's heard about this man name Jesus so she goes to where he is and Jesus says to her let the children first be filled for it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs um, I've heard this story taught a million different ways people always wonder about that verse of Scripture and they wonder if he was being rude um, or if the comment was um,
0: racist towards her or or
1: just unkind toward her and when i think of jesus that is not the jesus who i am familiar with and so as i had studied this um, story for a long time i started thinking to myself what is he trying to teach that woman the difference between a child and a dog what is the difference there and and i try to think through in my own Um, we talked a little bit about in the culture at that time the order that people would eat would be
0: Parents, then the kids, children, then And then pets. the animals
1: got everything else. So there was an order um, that you receive things. But as I read it, I also thought to myself, you know, um, there is a moment when you wonder, what, why has she come and what has she come for? It's almost as if Jesus is saying to her, what is the intention of your heart right now? That's what I need to know. And um, when you look at a child compared to a dog and what they're capable of understanding, In my mind when I read it, I think it was almost as if he was asking to her, are you a believer or a beggar? Do you know what it is you come seeking for and do you come with faith? Do you come with belief or have you just heard that everybody else is getting something and you want some of what everyone else is getting? And I love that that woman wears her heart right on her sleeve, right? She is not one bit offended by that statement. She still stays engaged in that conversation. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And what I love about this is it's almost as if she's saying to him, I will take whatever you give me. Give me even the crumbs. And I, I will take that. That is how much faith that I have. And I love um, when he says to her, um, for, for this saying, Go thy way, thy devil is gone out of their, thy daughter. Um, in Matthew, it reads a little bit better, and I want to just turn to that one quickly. In Matthew 15, and it's going to be... Um,
0: 27, we're near there.
1: Yeah, near 27. Um, I love in that moment when she comes to the Lord, it's a moment a lot like Peter's. When Peter was afraid, what was his cry? Lord, save, save me. me. And when this woman comes to Jesus, we read in um, Matthew 15, and it's verse 25, Lord, help me it's that same reaching, right? She's not in the water.
0: Um, But she might as well be. Yeah, she's in a situation that is not her own
1: people, her own religion, nothing her own. And it's that same reaching moment, Lord help me. And um, then I love in 28 when he says, oh woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And I just love the fact that he looked, you know, she's so humble. Just give me a crumb. I I don't even have to have what everyone else is having. Just give me a crumb. That is how great her faith is in that moment. And again, I love as you look at both of those reaching moments, this woman who was in an uncomfortable situation and Peter who was in an uncomfortable situation. What we see and what we learn from them is that reaching, that faith, that dependence on the Savior, and that's what led to the miracle for both of them.
0: Right. We keep coming back to this phrase and we'll come back to it in John 6. So that's our last one we're going to do is this idea of engaging in these miracles. Like just not so much that this is a formula for him, but this is how people are involved in them.
1: Yep, they go to where Christ is.
0: And they cry out they
1: cry out there is that reaching moment that is just consistent in all of these right um we're going to see it again now we're going to go to john 5.
0: okay john 5. this is a story this has been one of my favorite stories if i were to pick a picture of jesus it would be this one um at the pool of bethesda if you are uh local you know in utah valley you got to go down to the museum of art at byu because they've got the original there it's a carl block And it's a story of this man. Bethesda means five porches. It was this pool that was right right near Jerusalem, right in Jerusalem. And uh, this is where a lot of lame and crippled people would come because there was this legend, there was this idea that if the water ever rippled, that meant that an angel had touched the water. And the very first person to go into the water after the angel had, you know, rippled the water was going to be healed. So it's kind of like a hangout place for uh, the maimed, the crippled, the withered, all waiting uh, for the moving water. And I love that that is a place that you would find Jesus, mm. right? That that is where he decided to go. It's like, where, where would he be on, on any given day? Oh, I know. He's going to be at Bethesda where all of the crippled and the downtrodden and, and the discouraged are. And that's exactly where he is. And he goes to the man and asks him this question, who had been waiting, verse five tells us, for 38 years. Um, I just turned 38 this year and, and I read that and I think that's my whole life. That is my whole lifetime that he has been waiting uh, to be healed. And Jesus asks him in verse six, uh, "Wilt thou be made whole? You know, will, do you want to be made whole? Will you choose to be made whole? And I love, them. I love the guy's response he says, I I would love to, but I don't have anyone to help me. I have no one to take me down uh, into the water and I can't get there on my own.
1: This is such a beautiful example of what grace looks like oh. in this moment. Because it is that moment when um, he's asking for what he cannot receive, right? He cannot do on his own.
0: Zero yeah. percent, right? Yeah. I don't. I have no help. I have no chances. I have no. Yeah, there's
1: nothing he can do.
0: Right, and so, uh, so Jesus saith unto him, it says, um, in verse eight, it's one of my favorite verses. He says, "Rise, take up thy bed and walk." And and verse nine, and immediately, the man was made whole, and he took up his bed, and he walked. You know, and I have always loved that phrase, um, two phrases there. One, rise right? Come up out of this place that you have been in. Come up out of the struggle that you've been buried by. Rise and then take up your bed and walk. And if you want to imagine what that bed looks like for a second, he has been laying on it for 38 years. So this is just this ratty, nasty mat. And I have just thought it's so interesting that Jesus says, take up your bed, like take it home with you. Uh, on one sense, I love reading this and thinking to myself, um, Jesus is saying, your bed is kind of like, um, you're like your home. This is my home place, my home base or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, not anymore. Your old life is not who you are anymore. Take up your bed. You can You can set it down in a new place now. And then I love that he actually took the bed mm-hmm. with him. Because what did he do with it? You know, what, what did he, like, where did it, where did it go? And if it was me, I'm sort of a saver of things. He keeps it, he keeps it and he hangs it up in his house somewhere. You know, this ratty, nasty mat, you know, because it is a reminder of the day that Jesus saved him, right? It was a reminder of when he came to him and gave him what he couldn't do for himself. And so it makes me think, you know, do you have things like that, like around your house, Written in journals of of memories of like, man, if someone were to see it, like, hey, tell, tell me about that. You know, can you imagine it's on his wall and people come over for dinner, <laughs> you know, and they're like, Jim, what what's on your wall? And the kids are like, oh, no, dad, please, you know, he's going to tell the story again. And he's like, I have to tell this story for 38 years. I waited. I waited and I waited for some man to take me to the water for some angel to to move the waves. I was waiting for the wrong thing because the day Jesus came, immediately I was made whole.
1: And I think it's so important to point out there and that word immediately is again in here. Yeah. And sometimes you think of that Peter story and you probably listened to us talking to it and talking about it and thought to yourself, you know what, My I haven't experienced my immediately yet. Mm. Um, I have cried out to the Lord. I've been praying for my miracle. and." When is my immediately going to happen? And what I love about this story is for 38 years, it tells us. In fact, we have a spot here where we want you to write down how long did he wait? And there's two verses. One says a long, what is it? A long A long time, time. I feel like, yeah. Yeah, a long time. And the other one says for 38 years. And um, that's sometimes we have to wait the 38 years. We have to wait the long while before that
0: moment and and you see it you see it also in peter's story our friend michael wilcox loves to teach with that peter story on water that jesus comes in the fourth watch that's somewhere around three o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and when he comes he doesn't calm the waves either yeah you know he like they have to wait so michael wilcox likes to call him a fourth watch god like why didn't he come at nine Mm o'clock at night you know why didn't why didn't jesus come you know, 32 yes. years. I in, remember or, you know? a point
1: in my life when I was waiting for a miracle and waiting and waiting and praying and praying and it was not coming. Uh, it didn't matter what I did. It wasn't coming. And I remember my sister called me.
0: Well, and afternoon. that's interesting that you even say that. It didn't matter what I did because from these stories we're learning, it's not about what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. We're just waiting, we're just on, waiting on him. We're waiting on the Lord. Right.
1: And my sister called one afternoon and she said to me, sometimes he gives us things we don't want to go through because he's teaching us to be prepared for something we don't know is coming. Hmm. And I just loved the thought of that, of realizing that sometimes that waiting place, that waiting period is teaching us trust, it's teaching us patience, it's teaching us um, all of these lessons that the miracle will come in his own time and in his own way, the miracle will come.
0: And what's interesting is he doesn't say to the man at Bethesda, rise up, your legs now work. He says, rise up and be whole. And and what if those 38 years are part of that healing yeah. of eventually becoming whole? So we love that story. Yeah, such so a good, good story. Okay, okay. one more. One we don't more. have too much time. But, okay, you know, and we're going to go
1: to John 6. It's a story you know so well. It's the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And we just want to show you six things that we love in here that are just principles of how this miracle took place.
0: Engaging in this miracle. Yeah, engaging
1: right? in it that maybe are practices or principles we could use in our own lives as we're waiting for a miracle. And you remember um, when and they And the come, verses
0: are all on the study guide sheet.
1: Yep. So as you, you follow along
0: for. here, you can see that. And we've got space on there too for you to write just your own thoughts of what you think about them also.
1: So you remember all the people come. He teaches all day long. It's going to get late afternoon now. They've come a, a long ways from the city. And Jesus turns to the apostles and says to them, um, what are we going to feed these people? And we know there's 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women or the children. So just imagine the biggest party you've ever planned in your life.
0: <laughs> Times 20. <Right. laughs>
1: Think how hard it was to cook for all those people, whatever it was. And and I don't know that anyone has, in one afternoon, had to provide that much food for this many people without planning, right? right? There's no planning that happens. And there's certain things that happen as we go through this. The first one is in John 6, 6. um, And he says to um, the people, um, When Jesus lifted up his eyes, this is in five, and saw a great company come unto him. He turned to Philip and said, Where are we going to buy bread that these people can eat? And um, then I love in verse six, this is so good. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. He already knew where the bread was going to come from. He already knew what he was going to do with the bread. But there is this moment where he reaches out to fill up. And so the first thing we need to know is we need to trust God's will. He already knows what he's going to do. He already knew in that moment what was going to happen but sometimes he invites us into the miracle and we have to trust his will the second one is in verse five that we just read he's going to ask us to recognize our potential for helping in that miracle for participating in that miracle when he turns to philip and says where are you going to go to buy bread that these people can eat right philip is immediately invited in just like peter come Right. It's just it's what the Lord does. He invites and the the us Will into. Will thou be
0: made whole? Yeah, he you... invites
1: us into the miracle. And now Philip has been invited into the miracle. And so, the third thing we see is um, they all get together and they start talking. And they're like, "What are we going to do? I mean, really, what would you have done you, with all those people in that moment, far, far away from any store or anything? They get together, and and finally, one person is like, "Well." there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes but what are they among so many and every time i read this i think to myself i had a cute friend geraldine edwards who once said to me and aren't we all glad that that boy's mom remembered to pack his lunch (laughs) (laughs) is that the cutest thing ever in reality that boy was probably hired um, by the apostles to bring their dinner with him that five loaves and two fishes most likely was their the supper 12, yeah. um alfred adersheim says it the most logical explanation for them knowing about that boy who had that food is that it was actually their food and so
0: just such a beautiful setup yeah
1: and so that's the third thing is um they the third thing that he asked them to do was give all they had into the miracle
0: and you love that like in seven it says philip says 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient and then that same question, well, are they among so many? Like, again, we've got another moment here of like, we don't have enough. Yeah. And Jesus says.
1: Yeah, there, it's like the man who said, I can't get to the pool, right? right? And they're saying, this is this is not going to work out for us. And um, it's so interesting because they, they tell Jesus, okay, this is, I mean, this is our, our best. This is what we can offer, these five loaves and two fishes. And in verse 10, it says, And Jesus said make the men sit down now there was much grass in the place so the men sat down in number and they were about five thousand and we know what's gonna happen so I don't know if we very often pause and think about this verse but can you imagine them in that moment being like well how's this gonna work like why are we having these people sit down why are we not sending them home why were they not asking questions about what what are we doing yeah <laughs> you know but they don't they just sit just all the people down they do what they were asked to do jesus said sit all the people down and so what did they do they sat all the people down and i that's number 4 for me is we have to let obedience lead to our belief sometimes we just have to do what the lord asks us to do even if it doesn't make sense i remember a time in our life where we were um praying and praying for a miracle and every blessing Greg got, the blessing was the same. Wait, the Lord has something prepared for you. And it's hard to be obedient to that because you want to be like, no, we're done. Today. We have to
0: do something. Yeah, we yeah. need to do
1: something. And, but they just sat all the people down, right? They were just obedient to what happened. And then in verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples. And I love that pause right there. Number five, as we are invited into this miracle, is to remember gratitude, to remember to give thanks. Even if we don't know how everything's going to work out, as we're watching the Lord do His work to just continue to express gratitude, there is something about that that prepares for a miracle to happen. And the last part that I love is... really
0: um, to kind of become whole at the end of the miracle. You know, like the difference between believer and beggar. Like, I don't just want a handout, you know, I'm looking for like, this is a soul process, you know?
1: Yep. And um, then they, um, the disciples get it and the disciples give it to them who were set down. And I love this part um, of the bread and likewise as the fishes as much as they would. Every time I read that, I think to myself, when I get an offering from the Lord, how much do I take? I love that they took as much as they would in that moment. In fact, it tells us in verse 12, until they were filled, right? right? It's that same being made whole, right? It's that process of just that miracle is going to be what fills us or makes us whole. But what I love about this is this. If we had lived in that time, we would have known that barley loaves and those two fish was the mill of the poorest people who lived In that time period, it wasn't the finest bread. It wasn't the best fish. It wasn't the finest meal you could provide. Um, It was the meal for the most humble. And yet the people were satisfied and not just satisfied, but they were filled filled with it. And um, it makes me remember this. We have to learn to be content with what the Lord gives us. That um, He's going to give us what we need in that moment to be filled and we have to trust that. And we've got to learn to be content with what that is. And I love that after this miracle is over and after everyone is completely filled, all those people, they didn't even know how they would feed. There was leftovers, right? And that's the way the Lord gives, not just enough, right, but more than enough.
0: Right. I mean, he doesn't have just enough for 5,000 plus the women and children, but Enough for all of them and to spare. That's got to be one of the best verses is that verse 12, they gather up the fragments. And then I love that line that it says that nothing be lost. And if you go down a little bit farther into the chapter, um, Jesus actually says in verse 39, and this is the father's will, which he hath sent me that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. And so it's neat that he's, you know, has that, gather up those Mm -hmm. fragments because I don't want to lose anything and then teaches them later. That's actually why my father sent me so that no one would be lost. And you see that in all four of these stories. They all come and they're just like, I don't have enough bread. I don't have, I'm Mm -hmm. insufficient. I'm, I'm drowning. Um, I'm an outsider. I've been, you know, laying for 38 years. We don't have enough to give. And the Lord met them right where they were and they gave whatever they had and he made it enough and he made it more. He was like, I will not lose any of these people. I won't lose my, one of my closest disciples. I won't lose this foreign woman. I won't lose this, this outsider man. And I will not lose any of the 5,000 or 10,000 of the people he, who are here.
1: Yep, that his hope is to keep everyone. The interesting thing about this miracle is it becomes a defining miracle it becomes a miracle where he starts saying you have to make a choice are you a beggar or are you a believer are you are you coming begging for bread yeah that's all you wanted if that's all you want you you're not coming for the right reason are you coming to believe then i i will continue to heal you and to make you whole because
0: anyone can give you bread right he'll say later he's like i rained down bread from heaven for moses and the children of israel and where are they now they're dead mm-hmm. like yeah. Uh, free bread is not my thing. I, what I have to offer is so much more, and we love how the whole thing ends right here and at sixty-seven through sixty-nine because after he said to him, like, I'm not like a free meal guy. Like that's yeah, not. Yeah, don't who come I... begging. Right. That's because not. Because that's
1: not. I'm not the answer for that. Yeah. But and... come believing. Um. In fact, just right above there in sixty-four, it says, "For Jesus knew from the beginning mm-hmm. who they were that believed not, and who would betray him." Right. He knew. There were going to be people, and um, it's from this miracle, it tells us in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. This was a defining miracle for the believers and the beggars. Which
0: would have just broken his heart, right? Especially after he said, I, the whole reason I came was to lose nobody, mm-hmm. right? And then he says to his disciples, oh, I love this moment in 67. Will you also go away? And can't you just like sense the heartbreak in there as he watches Mm -hmm. this group go away and then turns to those who are with him. And he's like, are you going to leave too? And Peter, you love Peter so much. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? And he doesn't say, you've got the bread, Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the strength. You've got the miracles. He says, you have the words of eternal life.
1: Yeah, I love that part. And we believe and are sure. That thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? It, there is the definition of a believer. And I love one time when um, Josh was on his mission, he wrote a letter home about this. And it is probably my favorite letter he wrote home of his whole mission. He was talking about this and he said, I've been thinking a lot about this because when you are lost, to whom will you go? When you are brokenhearted, to whom will you go when you need a rescue? When everything has when fallen apart, when, you when need you, a
0: miracle, the when world you is crashing
1: them. down, all—I mean, everything. To whom will you go in that moment? And it was the first time that that line had become really personal to me. To think um, I'm going to turn to the the person I believe in, right? The Son of God, the Living Christ. I am going to turn to Jesus Christ, and where will He be within reach?
0: And what does it take out of us, whatever we have, and to just cry out and help? And and immediately he'll begin working the miracle. Yeah. It's so, such a good one. Okay. We'll see Yay, you. that's awesome. We'll see, see you next, you next time. Week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This.
1: Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave
0: Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.